You are a melody. I hear you all the time. It really gets to me. It's always on my mind. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Doing It for Bartolo. My name is June Lee. On the show this week, we have Field Yates of ESPN. Field is number one, a really, really good dude. He's a it was a really fun person to talk to, a really great interview. And I've known Field for a while now. He's a couple years. I met, I met him at Patriots training camp, and this was kind of before he blew up and, and became this big TV personality for ESPN on the NFL side. Uh, Field was really just starting out for ESPN Boston. Uh, trying out this journalism thing with Mike Reese of ESPN and, and covering the Patriots. And so uh, it's been really fun to see Field not only uh, grow in profile, but really kind of uh, become this awesome NFL insider, kind of uh, Adam Schefter's uh, sidekick over there uh, at ESPN. And uh, he's done some really, really great work. And he's uh, it's been just awesome to see him become uh what he is today and so field came on the show and uh he was uh fantastic uh so i hope you guys enjoy listening to our conversation if this is your first time listening to the show make sure to subscribe to us on itunes leave us a rating over there and you can also follow the show on twitter at bartolopod and make sure to tell a friend because it really does help the show out when you spread the word uh, about uh, what we have going on over here. So that is much appreciated. And before we get to our interview with Field, uh, first, a word from our friends over at FanDuel. So baseball season is finally underway, thank God. And uh, there's a whole new reason to play one-day fantasy baseball over at FanDuel. FanDuel is the best way to experience sports, period. And if you think about it, you, your friends, the games, the adrenaline, not only do you get to watch your favorite team, but you also get to create your own over a FanDuel. Baseball has never been this much fun, and one-day fantasy baseball has never been this much fun either. You get to play against your friends, or you can test your skills against other players. You can decide how often you want to play, whether that's just one day, or you can play every single day if you want to as well. FanDuel has contests for everyone, ranging from the casual fan to the expert. And you can also win money while watching sports, which is the dream, guys. <laughs> Watch sports and make money. So if you think you know FanDuel already because you saw a bunch of ads during the football season, think again. You have to experience the fun and the excitement to really, really get it. So try FanDuel today. You can enter FanDuel League now, and if you don't win any prize in your first contest, they'll refund your entry fee up to $10 back to your FanDuel account so you can play more. Just deposit, play, and if you don't win, they'll refund your entry fee up to $10. Just go to FanDuel.com, use the promo code BARTOLO, that's FanDuel.com, promo code BARTOLO. And with that, uh, Field Yates of ESPN. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, so on the show we have uh, Field Yates uh, of ESPN, and uh, Field, things things never stop for the NFL season. We're recording on the day that the, the Patriots trade Chandler Jones to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, what kind of what does your typical day look like? You know, when when it comes to the NFL season and then just also in the off season. I mean, the season never ends. Yeah, I sort of think that my my life breaks down into I guess four categories. It's two bigger categories, and then each one of them has two subsets itself. So the first I would say would be the NFL season versus the NFL off season. Um, and we all know that the NFL season. Um, is is fairly rhythmic, right? You know, Monday is Monday, Tuesday is Tuesday, etc. As we lead up until Sunday, 
That isn't to say that news can't come at any time, but practice takes place from Wednesday to Friday. Saturday, today we all watch college football. Monday we wrap up Sunday, and then on Tuesday players are off. So uh, you can get into a rhythm during the season, but during the offseason, although there are weeks that we know are going to be busy, like the past week because of the opening of free agency, we also know that news can come on a moment's notice that no one had any idea was going to come. Whether it was, as you just mentioned, the Patriots trade for Chandler Jones just before, I'm sorry, they trade away Chandler Jones just before you and I get on the phone. And not that the idea of Jones being traded was such a huge surprise. It was just the timing of it uh, as we are now six days into the 2016 league year. So season versus off season is one part of it. And then I would say that it's TV versus non-TV days. Um, and when I'm doing TV, obviously I'm then in Bristol, Connecticut, which is where ESPN is located. And that's basically the entire football regular season, uh, a good chunk of the postseason, and then uh, as needed during the offseason. So we're talking on the 15th. I head down to Bristol tomorrow night. I'm there for, I think I've got four days ahead of TV this week. Uh, three, Maybe three. Um, so a non-TV day is spent uh, in Boston, which is where I call home. Uh, but a TV day is sometimes it's, two or three segments on sports sports center on the weekends. Some days it is 12 segments because news happens fast. A story is updated. It's the middle of the season, whatever it is. We certainly have plenty of live programming on ESPN for the NFL. So uh, the the number of of segments and, and the amount of content that you're pushing out can certainly add up quickly, which is good because it means the appetite for football amongst consumers is very high. Mm -hmm. I mean, just rewinding back like 10, 15 years when you were in high school, presumably, or or in college, uh, you know, was this what you imagined yourself doing down the road? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the the furthest thing from it, I'd never thought about the possibility um, of working in sports media. And this sort of happened kind of quickly. I actually grew up uh, thinking I was going to be an NFL head coach uh, or a GM. So I started, I was fortunate to have uh, the opportunity after my junior year of high school uh, to begin working with the Patriots during training camp in what I guess is probably best called an internship, but not, I would say not necessarily a typical internship because um, it was basically doing entry-level scouting work, which the first thing you do when you start working in scouting or coaching in the NFL is you learn what it all means. You learn terms, you learn phrases, you learn how to evaluate, you learn coverages, protection schemes, all those things. So I was very fortunate to start doing that, and it's something that continued uh, until I graduated from Wesleyan uh, in 2009. And then after that, I was hired by former Patriots personnel man and Chiefs GM Scott Pioli to go work at his scouting department out in Kansas City. So I had this whole thing mapped out, this whole life thing mapped out, and it uh, took a quick turn, and it really, well, I should say this, it wasn't a light switch moment for me. Uh, I actually just had a, just, I made a decision to leave football, working in scouting, and I didn't, to be honest with you, I, I didn't have a plan after that. Um, looking back on it, would that have made more sense to wait to have a plan? Perhaps. Uh, it just felt like the right time, but... Media was something I had never considered 
at any point in my life um, until maybe around 2000, you know, late in 2011, some six or so months after I left Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a bunch of questions I have for you just kind of off of that, but uh, what, got, what got you into got you into football scouting and, and kind of set your eyes on, you know, a job in, in player personnel in, in football? Man, I wish I had a really good, like I wish I had that moment that I knew I wanted to work in football, but really for me, I can't think of a moment where I didn't want to work in football. It's been my lifeline. Uh, it's really been, you know, I, I don't know that we can necessarily make sports tangible um, or make you know, materialize them, but you know, I, I, have, I owe a lot to football because it's given me certainly uh, something to do professionally, and it's also been something that I just. I crave day-to-day. Uh, I'm consumed by football. I mean, I think in the same way that a lot of people who work in this industry are, I just get a total kick out of it. Uh, I played growing up. I played at college. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was anything close to a good football player, uh, certainly not at the college level, but uh, I played. I loved it. It's always been something that has been – more interesting to me than anything else I can think of in my life. So football gave me a lot. And unless, you know, I, I can't even think of what I would do outside of, you know, the, uh, professionally that wouldn't involve football. So I don't think my interest in football is going away anytime soon. So when, so what, what was kind of behind the decision to leave scouting and, and football and player personnel and all that stuff? And, you know, you said you didn't have a plan, but what was the impetus for you making that decision to, to leave? So I would say this, um, and, and this is the case for a lot of people who work in scouting in different sports, but the football lifestyle is an uncommon one, I would say. Um, you know, the, the hours are exceptional, um, and I say exceptional, exceptionally long, really. Um, scouting, coaching... You know, a good day at the office, like a short day at the office, is 12 or 13 hours. And I love to work. I really do. Um, I think that there are a number of factors, but I think that I found maybe a desire for some balance in my life at some point after being in scouting. And I've, I've talked to some people who have simil- similarly left uh, the NFL world and transitioned to the media or something else, and they've expressed a comparable sentiment that... Really, um, I, I, this is sort of if I had to do an elevator pitch of media versus um, scouting, it would be I love and have always loved football. I just decided I did not want to live football for the rest of my life. Uh, when I went to Kansas City, uh, we were still tra- my first year in Kansas City, we were still holding training camp um, in River Falls, Wisconsin, which is a small town, um, sort of got one main drag, just really – uh, a quiet, charming community, uh, but it was, you know, it was certainly, I, I was aware of the fact that I was far from home. Uh, born and raised in Massachusetts, uh, went to college in Connecticut, so I, I was, uh, you know, I, I stayed pretty close to the nest for the first 22 or so years of my life. Um, so when I got to Kansas City in July, I don't, th- I did not get home um, because, because there was no window to get home. Uh, until I returned to the East Coast Memorial Day weekend of the following year. Like, up until that point, might have had two days off, 
and I'm not talking two days like plus weekends. Like I think there might have been two days where I wasn't needed in the office um, between the day that I showed up and Memorial Day weekend. And there is a weirdly addicting side to it. And part of that was also that, you know, I'd go in the office because I didn't have, you know, I wasn't married, no kids at the time, still not married or still no kids (laughs) at this time. But, um, you know, it might have been a little bit different if I was at a different cross section of my life. Um, But I was not, um, you know, it's just a life that you can see why these football guys and, you know, you, you read stories, you see them, you can see why it's so all consuming for the very best. And I have a lot of respect for that. And I have a lot of respect for people who love football and I will never regret my time in Kansas city. I just thought maybe there was an opportunity to have a tad bit more balance in my life, which I feel now that I still have so much football in my day to day life, but I also have things that I care about outside of football that I'm able to, I'm able to pay attention to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I certainly have uh, a little bit more time to do all that. I mean, what did that daily schedule look like for you when you were working football? Uh, it, I mean, it seems like it was just completely all-encompassing and there wasn't time for you know, just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix at any point. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much this. You know, the rule of thumb was, and this probably goes around uh, the league for various teams, but our general rule, so I, when I first, my very first job in Kansas City in the scouting department was working what they call an in-house, an in-house scout, which means that Basically, I'm doing all of our, you know, we're doing all of our evaluations from the office, you know, not as opposed to an area scout who's on the road X number of days a year and lives in whatever part of the country he's covering, um, southeast, northeast, west, midwest, etc. So in-house scouts, I was living in Kansas City uh, and either one or two other guys, depending on uh, just there are a couple of transactions there um, during my time in Kansas City and our mantra was, you know, Scott Pioli, I mentioned, was the boss. It was just, you better be here before him and you better leave after him. Um, that's just the way that it works. So, you know, probably get into the office between five and six um, and then really work until, you know, anywhere between, I'd say, 9.30 and midnight, probably the early side versus the late side. And, I, you know, there were some days where it was, you know, I found myself wanting to stay until the requisite time. Sure. There were other days where you felt like it was just the way that it goes. Um, and that was probably, you know, during the season, that was probably Monday through Thursday. Friday, you get out of there at a more reasonable time, probably, you know, five or so. Um, I was fortunate uh, when I was doing all this to also be working a little bit on the coaching side. So on, I was traveling with the team to all of our away games. So Saturday, I was traveling. So there wasn't a ton of time during the season, and then during the off season, which really is sort of the Super Bowl season for the scouting department, mm-hmm. the schedule didn't change a whole lot. The tempo was a little bit different just because there weren't as many bodies in the office. I mean, players weren't around all day. There wasn't practice. There wasn't, you know, everything that goes on during the season. Um, but I would say that the workload stayed pretty consistent. It's not dissimilar, I'd say, to studying for a test. You know, some people need to study for a test one time, and they're ready to go, and they can do great. Um, there are other people who need to study until the moment before the pencil goes to the paper and, you know, they do great, you know, football valuations, you could look at a guy and say, ah, this guy stinks the first time you see him and he could turn out to stink. Or you could watch 50 games of him to finally determine that he stinks and he could, he could stink or it could work the other, other way. I mean, 
there are people who at initial blush you think are one thing and they turn out to be the other. So I'd say the schedule was pretty consistent because you could always find more work to do. It was watching a ton of tape. It was evaluating a ton of players, making what is called a point of attack tape, which uh, for scouting, basically what that was, was that you know our GM and our head coach and our coordinators and some of our high-level executive people and personnel – they didn't have time to, let's use an example of a player. Like, let's say they wanted to uh, evaluate, um, try to think of a, either a, a prospect this year. Let's just go to the NFL level. Like, let's say that they wanted to evaluate Patrick Peterson, the cornerback. You know, certainly they could put on a Cardinals game and look for number 21 and, and just sort of go through each play. The problem is, as a cornerback, you might be prominently involved in... 10 or 12 plays in some games. I mean, sometimes more, but sometimes just 10 or 12, especially the very good cornerbacks. So our job on the point of attack tapes was to break down, find the plays, good, bad, and ugly, for ver- for various prospects. And then we'd do some, some image, you know, we, we would do some editing to get, like, you know, you'd circle the player before the play so it looked like you were watching his highlight tape. So that was a big part of what we did. And then I probably would say that one of the most intriguing things that we did was... During the pre-draft process, as I'd imagine you may know, the uh, each team is entitled to 30 on-site visits, as in players can come on-site to their facility and spend the day in that city. Uh, whether it's medical stuff, whether it's um, you know talking to coaches, whether it's, it's it's not physical testing. You're not putting these guys through a workout. Uh, but it's sort of getting a better feel for these guys. And as you know, the, the young guy around, my job for the ones that I was coordinating was I'm picking the guy up from the airport. I'm taking him to you know I'm taking him to the uh, to the doctor first thing in the morning. Um, I'm sort of the ears are on the grounds. And yes, they are meeting with. It's not my job. It's not my job to make the picks. I'm not the one who is deciding whether or not, uh, you know, a player deserves to be selected by us. But, you know, that year, for example, like some of the visits that really stood out, like Eric Berry, who ended up taking, Mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't decide if I wanted to tell our GM to draft Eric Berry with the fifth overall pick or nominate him to run for president. I mean, the guy was flawless. I mean, he was an unbelievable football player, but one of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. We spent the day talking about any and everything, his family, how he had spent a summer, the summer previous, working at a dentist office, uh, you know, as a possible, you know, a, a thing of interest. I mean, he's got just an incredible story. Obviously, it's gotten even more incredible since then, mm-hmm. um, and you're happy to see Eric Berry do so well. Uh, and then you, you remember other guys who were, I don't think, took it as seriously. I don't think that they showed up to these visits as if they were a job interview. Um, and then you had some guys that you, you looked at and uh, that you brought in and – they were good kids. They were, I mean, they were great kids, and they were also enjoyable to be around. You know, Gronk came to Kansas City for a pre-draft visit, and Gronk was incredible. He was he handled himself very well. He was certainly uh, attentive. He's incredible. I mean, physical specimen-wise, they just don't make humans like Gronk. Yeah. And you know something? Everybody enjoyed having Gronk around. They could see that he's goofy. He's six foot six, two hundred whatever it is, sixty-five pounds, and big and goofy. But I tell you what, Gronk loves football, and that showed up in such an obvious way when you spent a day around him. What he cares about 
really is football. So that was some of the stuff that I really enjoyed was seeing how guys um, spent, you know, reacted, interacted with people uh, and enjoyed or treated that process because whether or not um, this is the case for all prospects, the truth is the pre-draft process is like a six to eight month, six to eight month uh, interview with NFL teams. So we'll get back to field in just a second, but first a word from our friends over at SeatGeek. Uh, if you've ever been frustrated about trying to buy tickets online, I've been there too. Most sites are super complicated and they try to sneak in these huge fees at checkout that really jack up the price. That's why you need to check out SeatGeek today. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Uh, with baseball season obviously starting, uh, you want to make sure that you get to the ballpark to get some of those early season games. I have seen the SeatGeek app on my phone and I just used it the other day to check out some tickets for the summer. SeatGeek has taken out all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. They pull all the tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every single ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on its value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price of the ticket. And unlike StubHub, SeatGeek will always show you the full ticket price from the start to finish and never surprise you with huge fees at checkout. Listeners to Doing It For Bartolo can get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your rebate, uh, head over to the App Store, download the free SeatGeek app, Go to settings and click add a promo code, enter promo code Bartolo, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase. So make sure to head over there and download the free SeatGeek app and enter the promo code Bartolo today. Please help support SeatGeek. They're supporting the show and uh, they're a great product. So make sure to check them out. And now back to Field Yates. Do you have any other stories of, of your time just kind of working and scouting? Uh, just... You know, something that, that the general public might not see on a daily basis, uh, but uh, is obviously very crucial towards the success of, of a football team and a franchise. Let me tell you this. Um, and in some ways, I work around, you know, I have to, you know, it's something that I think about every time that I uh, cover a story is um, there are moves that are made, right? That you say to yourself, Okay, I get it, right? Like that's obvious. Like, um, just go through a free agent signing this this off season in or whatever. Let's let's play your game a little bit. You know, like why did the Red Sox sign David Price to a seven year, two hundred fourteen million dollar contract? Because they really needed an ace pitcher. David Price is one of the best pitchers in the game, and he was available, right? Like we don't have to overthink why the Red Sox made that move. It's obvious, right? Yeah. There are also times when teams make moves, and on the outside we say to ourselves, what the heck are they thinking? You know, like, why on earth would you do that? Whether it's moving on from a young player, whether it's investing in an older player, uh, whatever it is. Like Olivia and I'm Vernon, not, like the Dolphins and Olivia Vernon. Yeah, and, and so... I, I, I wonder... I, I, so I don't know for sure... Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much... I think the Dolphins have made some some poor decisions. And as I was going to say, it's not as if every decision turns out to be the right one. Um, but there are times when, when things happen that on the outside we have no reason to un- – we don't, we don't understand. We can't figure it out. And the truth is a lot happens day to day and inside buildings that we never, ever catch wind of. 
but but is the reason behind decisions. And I'm not trying to take teams off the hook. Uh, I'm just saying that sometimes when we we have this inclination um, that we have to we look at things with the factors available and we have to have a strong take one way or the other. What a great move! What a dumb move! Sometimes there's simply more to it. Um, and I think the other thing that is important to remember, um, or that I think I learned from my time in scouting, and I think is important to remember now, um, especially when I think about the echo chamber of Twitter, is when scouts are evaluating a player, <clears throat> they are evaluating every available trait that they can come up with, that they can find. I think I, I explain to people, think of um, evaluating a prospect as painting a picture, okay? Or putting together a puzzle. You want to have as many available pieces of information as you can when you're submitting your scouting report to the general manager, to the head coach, whoever it is. So what happens, I think, a lot of times is um, you know, the, these nuggets of information – get passed along sometimes and we all we all know how the game works a little bit in the media right reporters looking for information scouts sometimes you know they have people they trust in the media um and i'm not not naive to that you know um i know how it works having seen both sides of it um but sometimes i think i think back to the 2014 draft when teddy bridgewater the now vikings quarterback was getting dinged uh because of the fact and the infamous term was he has skinny knees. I don't know if you recall this, but he was getting people were saying, you know, Teddy, you know, it turned into kind of a laughing point amongst the media, like, ha ha ha, you dumb scouts, take your skinny knee evaluation of Teddy Bridgewater and shove it because watch out, he's going to turn out to be the best quarterback in this class. And I think what people need to understand is that when a scout is evaluating Teddy Bridgewater, yes. They're evaluating every aspect of Teddy Bridgewater's game and his stature. And when you're thinking about quarterbacks, they're going to be playing in a league that has pass rushers like Von Miller that are six foot four or six foot three, 250 pounds, and can run a four four five forty. I think it. Yes, you're going to make sure that you note a player's stature when you are passing along that evaluation, I mean, look at the beating that Tom Brady took in week 17 of this regular season against the Dolphins. And we know that he had the ankle sprain, but and I don't know this for sure, but I'm not sure every quarterback is built to take the kind of hits that Tom Brady took. And I'm not saying that Teddy couldn't. I'm just saying that when scouts are painting these pictures, they over-explain versus under-explain because they have to do their best to give their general manager or whoever it is that they're reporting to the best, most comprehensive evaluation that they can put together. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that on the media side, sometimes we get a little bit caught up in these things, and I'm sure there'll be something that comes, you know, the the small hand size for Jared Goff has been something so far this year that people talk about. I'm not saying that it's it's a deal-breaker, but I also understand that that scout who's measuring Jared Goff's hand He's just doing his job. Whether or not we like that, that's just what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think you come from a unique vantage point having worked in both scouting and now being a very prominent member of the NFL Insiders, uh, you know, 
how how do you think uh, your your experience uh, in in player personnel and in, in front offices and and doing all that scouting has influenced how you cover football? So I think that my job or my my goal is to, um, when appropriate, I want to inject relevant pieces of information from my time in the NFL to my coverage. Um, I also don't want it to be the only thing that I rely upon because there are sometimes June where it's not applicable. You know, um, I don't have, I haven't, I didn't live every single possibility during my time in the NFL. But when I can, I like to uh, pass it along. So I feel confident um, that there are times when it's appropriate and needed to add some player evaluation context to a move. Um, I also think there are times when stories do uh, become relevant. Um, You know, the Patriots remain, to me, the preeminent sports franchise, or at least the preeminent football franchise. And I spent a lot of time inside of those walls. And a lot of the people that were there when I was there uh, are still there. Um, Most especially the you know, the head coach, Bill Belichick, a lot of his staff, and, of course, the quarterback. So there is some time that you can, um, you know, you can inject experience um, that you did, or that you had, or you lived. At the same time, I don't want to always say, all right, here's a story about, I don't know, let's just, you know, Mike Wallace just signed with the Baltimore Ravens today. To be honest with you, I didn't scout Mike Walls when he was coming out of Ole Miss. Didn't spend a lot of time studying him uh, when he was uh, in Pittsburgh at the time and I was in Kansas City. I knew, he, I mean, I know Mike Wallace is, but it's not like, hey, yeah, you know, one week I had to do the, make sure I did the scouting report of Mike Wallace, so I'm just going to leave it be. You know, I'm not going to say, well, back when I was in Kansas City, we studied wider. No, 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 that wasn't the case. So I think there's a balance of injecting your insight when appropriate, but also not... Um, leaning on it so much that you stray away from what is relevant. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with, you know, coming out of, of scouting with the chiefs and you said you didn't really know what you wanted to do field. Uh, I mean, how did you kind of pivot yourself into pursuing? I mean, how did you even come up with uh, pursuing a career in media as something that you could potentially be doing? Well, you know, I think I had to, I had to face plant first, which I certainly did. Uh, I got my real estate license, which huh. made, which, uh, you know, swing and a miss. And <laughs> I thought it was going to work. I thought it was going to be something I would enjoy. I did not. So how um, long were you in that? I, let's see. So I think I got licensed at some points, like the beginning of the summer of 2011. And then I was out by about September or so. <laughs> um, it was a quick realization that that was not going to be for me. Um but I did, uh, I, I guess, maybe one day when I buy or sell a house, maybe I can save a couple bucks on a, a real estate agent fee or something. I don't know. Um, I would encourage anybody to listen to this podcast and, and you as a, as a current college student that um, sometimes the most important things to learn is what you don't want to do. And I think the best thing that can happen to somebody uh, in the five, first five years after college, are failing. And failing is an interpretive term. You know, failing might be getting fired. Failing might be, um, you know, not loving what you do and deciding to switch careers. It's up to you. You know, that, I, I use it, I paint with a broad brush when I say the word fail. Maybe that's too strong. Um, but 
you know, you're going to learn a lot from things that don't happen or do happen that don't go as planned. You'll learn a lot from the things that you find success in, but it's it's really important that you um, learn from things that don't go the way that you want or hope them to. Um, hope for them to. So, um, case in point, me going uh, into real estate and realizing I wasn't going to do that. At some point after, um, you know, it might have been this, like right, right before training camp got going, I got a little bit of an itch in 2011. I think the lockout had just ended and football became very prominent again. And I started a little blog on Tumblr. And it was at first a hobby, and then it became a little bit more of a hobby. I got some temp work. I was, I was like pushing paper at, at Boston University. I don't even know what I was doing, to be honest. I mean, it was like expense reports filing. It was not, um, you know, the most mentally stimulating thing I've ever done in my life, but it was a little bit of traction and gave me some time to write. Uh, I started doing some stuff for the SB Nation news desk, a little bit of stuff for Bleacher Report. Just sort of toying around with anybody who uh, with, with with my skills, which were far from refined at that point. And then I was sending emails and resumes and everything else to anybody in the area, um, the greater Boston area, New England area, and then you know what, bigger websites at large. And I did not hear back from probably ninety five percent of the people that I reached out to, um, but somewhere between. 10 and 11 minutes after I emailed Mike Reese uh, of ESPN and ESPN Boston. Mike Reese, the legend. He responded to me. Uh, whereas I, many of the other people who I emailed won't say anything about, you know, this isn't a name game. It's just, this is more about Mike than is the other people. Uh, I never heard of Pete from. Um, Mike Reese responded to me within... Like I said, less than t- more than ten, less than eleven minutes, and it speaks to the caliber of individual that Mike is. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and Mike uh, very graciously emailed me back. It was, it was the middle of the Patriots' second Super Bowl versus the Giants season, so I think this was 2011 into 2012, and you know, he very kindly said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm uh, quite busy. Uh, here are some initial thoughts." If you don't mind, I'd love to be in touch with you after the season. Which, to me, I mean, you would have thought that Mike had just told me that I, you know, I, I, I just won a million dollars. That's how excited I was to hear back from him. Um, Mike and I eventually reconnected after the season, and I was very fortunate to go down during the 2012 NFL Draft. I guess we're coming full circle here because Chandler Jones was the first player the Patriots took that night, and I, <coughs> excuse me, helped him out a little bit. Him and Mike Rodak were there, so Mike Reese and Mike Rodak and I held it down for a few nights there, and eventually I, I started to do a little bit more for, for then ESPN Boston, which still exists, but had a little bit of a different format at that point. Um, and one thing that I really, truly love um, about ESPN is um, you can start in a singular capacity and then very quickly move to a different one. And ESPN is almost like the, the the mantra in some ways is, can you do one thing? All right, you can do one. Now, can you do two? All right, you can do two. Can you do five? So very fortunately, I uh, have had my duties expand. Um, you know, ESPN does not need two people full-time covering the Patriots. Uh, very few 
outlets are lucky enough to have someone as talented um, and hardworking and diligent as respected as Mike Reese. Mike has the Patriots in more than good hands for ESPN, so my role has since moved to a different uh, area of coverage. And it's taken me to places I never thought that I would be involved with. It's been a lot of fun. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun job. It's a challenging job. Um, it's a very, I would say, you know, it, it's, a, it's a dynamic industry, right? I mean, sure, 10 yeah. years ago, if you and I, now, granted, well, I was going to say, we, people would say we look, we look like toddlers at the time, which they might still tell us. Um, if we talked about doing a podcast, I think we would look at, like, what is a podcast? You know, 10 years ago, that might not have resonated. So I love the idea that um, as much as I want to peg what I want to do for the rest of my life, we have no clue. You know, 10 years from now, we could have a different, different medium that no one's even thought of right now that could be the primary way that you and I deliver information and messages. So... Um, that was a long, long-winded response to, I think, a pretty simple question. I mean, I remember I met you for the first time. <coughs> I think it was your first training camp, and it was you were with Mike Reese and Mike Rodak, and you were you just, it was just that training camp, and you know people were sitting on the tent. And uh, what was I mean? What was your kind of your your feeling being in that in that industry? You know, being in training camp for the first time and being in a you know covering the Patriots and you know, being the new guy in the block, how did you kind of approach that? So I think that my, um, I would say that my approach was this, um, find ways to, um, use my experience, um, that I, that I had with the Patriots and the Chiefs to cover the game a little bit differently. At the same time, I had to make sure that I learned how to be a reporter um, I had to learn the importance of things that, like what resonates with the, the readers day to day. You know, the first thing that resonates, to be honest with you, is, is attendance. You know, like, and I would never have thought, you know, because I know that there are some injuries that a guy sits out of practice, it's just maintenance. But people care about that stuff, and they care about things like jersey numbers, and they care about things like who got the biggest applause amongst the crowd. And I'm not saying that I don't, those things don't interest me. I just had to understand where to sort of prioritize things. Um, and then I think it was probably uh, finding a way to, I mean, as you know, this, this city, Boston, has, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, innumerable reporters covering basically every team. And um, there are more than one way, there's more than one way to skin the cat covering a team so i think it's about finding ways if finding a way to be unique with your content um and also finding ways to um make sure that you're checking the boxes that you need to that you need to cover you know what i mean like I, I, you, you can't just like think so far outside the box um and not you know sort of uh, take care of the, the business matters at home so to speak so um there's a lot of learning. There's hopefully a little bit of, of sort of taking the ideas that I know, um, uh, things that I know, and um, applying them. I just think that uh, you know the thing that I probably I, the approach probably first and foremost was uh, to have an open mind. You know, because I, I I was the new kid on the block, um, and honestly, one of the things that I remember about football, and this is something that I always respect uh, about Bill Belichick, is I tell you what, if you ask Bill Belichick 
how much more he can learn about the game of football, he would tell you that he doesn't have anywhere close to all the answers. And I think to myself, if Bill Belichick feels that way, how could I ever go to a uh, any setting and speak as if I was the end-all, be-all of football, if that makes sense? Um, so I just I think that there's so much to learn every single day that um, I liked to um, I don't know I just like to I, I like to, to sort of um, stay on 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 the track of like let's learn a little bit more and see where it takes us next. Mm-hmm. What were some of the the mistakes that you made early on that you that you took away from in terms of like just learning? Learning how to be a journalist, learning how to be a writer. What what were some of the uh, the early blunders that you may have made? You know, I'm not sure. Um, like, so I don't know if how much I made these. I don't know this for sure. Um, I, you know, it's not that I I made plenty. Um, however, I would also note that you know having the chance to learn from Mike Reese is. I mean, that is that's as good as it gets right there. You know what I mean? Um, he taught me the ins and outs. So I don't remember how much of these things I, 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 I didn't do as well as I wanted to um, at that time. Uh, but some of the things that I think are really important that I try to impress upon younger people when I'm speaking to them about a possible career in media is, you know, hone your voice have a feeling for what you want to be and be consistent in projecting that. Um, I'll use Twitter as an example because it, to be honest, with you, a lot of our world revolves around that right in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is a free service. It costs me nothing to follow you. It costs me nothing to unfollow you, block you, uh, mute you, any of those things. Not that I would do any of that, but it cost me nothing. So, there, and there are people who follow me, uh, whatever the number of people who follow me is, who follow me because they look at my bio and they say, hey, um, I see field reports on the NFL for ESPN, and he also co hosts a podcast about fantasy football, and he also, I don't know, whatever else I have in there. Um, <clears throat> and. They probably click follow because they say to themselves, all right, here's what I'm getting. I'm getting football, fantasy football, a little bit here or there, all right? And that's not to say that I'm a, I'm a robot, but I'm not going to spend my day on Twitter on this Thursday when the first round of the NCAA tournament is on live tweeting what's happening during the game that I'm watching, all right? It's just not going to happen. I don't have any interest. I don't have any interest in doing the play-by-play of the Providence-Yale game. That just doesn't, you know, it's not, not for me. Um my voice is football, fantasy football, and you know I like to let people know. I like to you know let my personality shine a little bit. I'm I'm very proud to be from the state of Massachusetts and, and call as Boston you home. Be. As you yes, be. as yes, <laughs> and um, you know I, I I like to you know I like to have fun. Um, you know I like to um, you know have have some fun on Twitter. There's, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be so serious all the time, but. You know, if you're, and I think that, um, I think that probably the takeaway is like, I want to make every tweet count, if that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not quantifying that by retweets and likes or whatever. It's just, you know, I want to make sure that when I put it out there, I mean what I'm tweeting. 
you know? So uh, that will be something that I would learn early on, um, would be finding your voice, crafting it or finding it, whichever it is, <clears throat> and be consistent with it, um, be proud of it. Um, I would also say that it's important to, you know, as, you know being fast, you know, I don't think you want to compromise accuracy for speed. Um, I follow a decent number of beat reporters uh, for a, a lot of teams. Um, in some cases, I follow multiple for just one team. And 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 to be frank, you know, sometimes I'm I'm sitting there at the end. I'll be on Twitter at the end of a practice session or a training camp practice, and you know, it'll be a straw. It'll be a string of <clears throat> tweets from all these reporters, and one of them might type it out in fully punctuated, capitalized text. And one of them might say that, you know, only refer to players by their last names and, and leave a little bit of, um, you know, leave some stuff that I don't know, um, some context out there. So I think it's important to be comprehensive. And then, and this is, this is also part of the Mike Reese school, um, is elevate the information. Um, don't, there are people whose job is to simply, um, report news. That's their job. Um, Mike Reese reports news, but does an incredible job of not just reporting news, but taking the news and explaining why it matters, what it means next, how it got to that point. And I'll just, uh, again, we talked about the right off the top, this Chandler Jones trade um, at the beginning of this podcast. And we're about an hour, hour and a half away from when that from when that trade first went down. And since then, Mike has written up a news story, and he's also drawn parallels of the Richard Seymour trade in 2009. He was infamously traded from the Patriots, covered the assets the Patriots are acquiring, and look at the depth chart. You know, I'm impressed. That, to me, is if I were a Patriots fan, um, I would want to read content like that. I, I think that we have too much information available to not want more, if that makes sense. So I think that's a, a, a duty that I take very seriously in my work, and I think it's important to um, impress upon people who are getting started is content is key. How you put together that content is also so critical. Mm-hmm. When so you so you worked on the Patriots beat for two years, right? It was about yeah, it was two years. Uh, the first year was pretty much you know was mostly Patriot stuff, and then um, some insider content. For the, for the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the second year was that, plus some fantasy content, a couple other things, but the Patriots beat was still sort of the main the main beast. So when you start to shift more towards, like, uh, being an NFL insider and breaking news uh, and that kind of stuff, I mean, information, especially in the age of Twitter, is kind of like currency. Uh, and you're, you're, like, trading, you're trading bits and pieces with with people uh, in order to get information. Uh, how did you kind of see your role shift and your kind of view on your job shift as you start to do more of that stuff and you, you were you know getting a bigger platform of being on television and you know doing the podcasts and, and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm glad to ask the question because, you, and I thought that the way that you mentioned information as currency is a really important point because um, I think in my last answer, someone heard it and might said, is he trying to devalue the importance of news? The answer is no, because we all know that news drives the rest of the content. The ability to produce news, to break news, to confirm news, to um, 
just simply pass along news. Like if team if a team announces something, you pass it along. That is essential to our business. It just is. People want people want news. They want information. They want activity. Um, so it has been um, a focused effort to have more news or to to be more news driven um, to develop contacts and sources and, and, and people that can assist me in doing that. Um, and you know, I think for television, which I'm sure it's going to be a part of your future sooner rather than later on a consistent basis. Um, I think that one of the things that I learned pretty early on is in regards to television is that, you know, so I sort of draw this. I, television is like get your one to two best points out. Radio interviews are a chance to have a little bit more conversation. Um, written stuff is your chance to write a very focused piece because you know until you press push and until you press send or or you know until you push something live, you can edit it and rewrite as much as you want. And then podcasts are you know like sitting at the bar with somebody and having a you know a beer and talking about whatever it is you want to talk about. So television, it was first realizing that like you got to have your one to two best shots ready for whenever you're called upon, and then um, it's okay to, to 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 not be just like everybody else, you know. Like I I consider myself different than a lot of people that I work with at ESPN. Um, you know, uh, age wise, I'm younger. Uh, background wise, I'm a little bit younger. Um, those things that are just different, but that doesn't mean that I need to morph into what everybody else is and just sort of fit in. Um, and like, I just want to like do my work my way, just like everybody who I think I work with does, you know, they don't try to be, not everybody has to try to be like everybody else. So I think in television, that was an important thing to lose or to learn, excuse me. Um, and to speak. Uh, and I know there are, the perils of television are obvious, right? It's live. And if you say something, you don't, get to, you don't get the chance to just take it back. Um, so my focus is always mean what you say and say what you mean. If you do, people are not always going to agree with it. Um, that's, the, that's, that's just the bottom line. However, if you have a reason, if you have a justification for your opinion on your matter, and, I, and I'm not suggesting that you can extend beyond the moral compass. All right, I, I think we all need to understand. Like, we need to operate under, you know, within the moral compass and uh, with reasonable, w- w- you know, with a reasonable level of respect that is that is, that is sort of incumbent upon television. Um, but I'm thinking more of like, hey, if I say on TV, like, I think the, you know, I think the Chargers are going to win 12 games next year after winning three this year. Not everybody's going to agree with me, and there's a chance I'm going to be wrong. But if I have reasons why that I'm prepared to pass along, you know, I should say that. You know, if I, and if I'm right, people are going to say, "Wow, that was smart." If I'm wrong, people are going to say, "Ah, well, I told you so." But you know something? You got to say what you believe, and you got to believe what you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was interesting how you brought up. You know, you're you're one of the younger guys who are, who are on. ESPN on a on a consistent basis and I think it, it really shows off in your sense of fashion and that's something that whenever I had just like ESPN on in the background my mom is like pointed out oh that guy's like dressed very well um is that something that you are I mean I assume that's something that you're you're very cognizant of is, is how you dress especially when you're on TV I would tell you this um I, and 
it's not the most important thing that goes into doing television. Um, but it's a visual medium, right? Sure. And, you know, I don't think that, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, my grandfather, who was a huge Ohio State football fan. Uh, my, my mom's side of the family grew up in, in Columbus and went to games their, enti- their entire life. That was how Saturdays were spent. He used to say, <clears throat> you know, look good, play good. And that's, you know, we, see, we hear that all the time. Uh, for me, I take pride in going up. You know, when I go up there, I don't think I'm just representing myself. I'm representing ESPN. I'm representing my family. And not, not to, I'm, I'm not trying to overthink the, you know, the outfit side of television. Um, it's more just that, you know, something like, why, if, if I go up there, clean, cut, be, um, like, be professional, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take that part of it seriously, it's one less thing that you have to think about when you're on the air. Is my tie loose? Is, you know, is this, does this match? Does this suit look stupid? Like, I don't want to think about that. I want to walk into the office in the morning and be ready to go whenever they need me and for however long they need me to do. So, and, and listen, I, I enjoy, I enjoy, clo- I enjoy clothing. I'm not going to, you know, I think that you're probably right. It probably, it's probably pretty obvious that I enjoy it's fun for me, you know, um, as guys, we don't have a ton of different things that we work with, right? It's a suit, it's a shirt, it's a tie, maybe a po, you know, maybe a pocket square, all that. Um, oh, there's not a ton that we're working with. Yeah. So you make it fun. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's one thing to enjoy. Um, it's, it's just a little, a little icing on the cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And I totally get that. I mean, like just, uh, you know, what what have what have been some of the things that you've taken away from just kind of being on television? How is you how have you seen your your uh, your kind of perspective on sports and the sports media as whole change since you've you know your role has expanded at ESPN? Yeah, I would say June. I, I really have learned uh, a lot of incredibly important lessons, and I think that and you probably see this day to day too, um, and certainly you know through Twitter we probably both see it is. Um, you know, you know. At the end of the day, we're talking about football, or you know, base whatever it is that you're covering day to day. You know, I know you you have your hands on everything, and I don't want to turn this into something more than it is. And it's a competitive industry. Um, I think there are elements of snark to it that we see, right? Definitely, one hundred percent, especially on Twitter. But, yeah, but you know something. I have a lot of fun when I do my job, and I may not be the best. Uh, I may not be the first on some stories, um, but I think it's really important that um, when you're doing your work, you have a method for the way that you work. And if you trust that method, I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, not everybody's going to be perfect. Um, but I feel comfortable and confident that I go about my work in a way that can produce meaningful content and worthwhile analysis. Um, that's my opinion. I hope that my bosses share it. I hope the viewers share it. But I feel comfortable with it. So rather than going up there on television and constantly say to myself, constantly saying to myself, you know, like, what do I tweak there? What do I, uh, you know, like, how do I mess this up or how do I make this better? No, it's not, it's like be yourself. You know, uh, I remember reading this, I think actually, I don't, I don't follow a ton of athletes on social media. Um, 
just just because no 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 real reason but i remember seeing this on russell wilson uh, russell uh westbrook excuse me his instagram page one time and it was something i think that the line was just be you you know and i think he pretty clearly lives his life that way um he is just himself and that's my you know i, I like that i really like that idea and i think that i've learned that in television because it's such a judgment such a judgmental um I guess just industry. I mean, I remember getting on there for the first time and you go back, you check Twitter and you've got people cursing you out left and right, you know, making, you know, some incendiary remarks towards you, derogatory remarks about your age or looks. It doesn't matter. You know, asking, you know, I got, my name is always picked on for whatever, you know, for, because it's different. Um, and I'm just like, God, I've got two ways to go about this. One, let it, crumble me to the ground to um, sit there and say to myself, you know something, no matter how much I look at it or how little I look at it, people are still going to be saying stuff. You know what I mean? So you can either, I guess, just ignore it, have fun with it will be one thing. And I think, you know, from being Facebook friends, et cetera, um, and, and sort of so, social media buddies that I have fun with, with some of the things yeah. people say yep. and just like, enjoy what you do. Like I believe in my approach. That's, and again, it's, it's, I'm not always going to be right. There, and there, there are a lot of people who are a lot better at what we, at what we do than me. But, um, my job is to, um, I would say, uh, find that approach, use that approach and then always aim to get better too. Mm-hmm. You know, that just, that's, that's my approach. Yeah, and I think I think something that's always interesting, uh, just in in wanting to try to get better. I think everybody, you know, especially who, people who are younger, want to get better at, at whatever they're doing in, in sports media. And I think you know the advice that I hear from a lot of people is to just read as much as you can, or just consume as much sports media in general as possible as you can, just to just to get your 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 brain going. Who are the people for you that you like to consume? And it doesn't have to be just kind of restricted to football, but just like in in terms of just like reading and, and just consuming media what are the things that you like to who who and, and what do you like to consume on a daily slash weekly slash whatever basis yep so you know obviously uh you know i've said mike reese a hundred times in this interview he certainly is someone who i read daily um you know, a good friend uh covers a team that is, is important to my industry and, and locally too um adam Schefter to me sets the bar for reporting uh he, he does it the right way he works harder you know, I, I'd say the three people that have kind of been the, the the mentors for me in the media have been Mike, Adam Schefter, and Chris Mortensen, um, Which is who obviously we're all thinking of. Yeah, and and not at all. And we're obviously, and I know we all are thinking about Mort right now, and I know he's going to be back stronger when he does return to ESPN. And it's not a surprise that there's a really obvious common tenant between the three. Like, they all are they're the three hardest workers that I've met in sports media. They just are. Um, and so those people that I consume a lot of media from, I think that with, with 32 teams and a 90 man roster during the off season, uh, that's almost 3000 players that we're accounting for in the NFL right now. So I've got daily tabs, uh, you know, Roto world football, uh, the football page in Roto world is I'm on there a lot of times a day because, uh, as much as Twitter is, is useful and instantaneous, if someone tweets something um, at 
and I check it at 4.30, you know, my, my thumb will get will, will cramp before I finish scrolling all the way down to 2.30, you know? So really good resource there. Um, and then, you know, I, 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 mean, I certainly read a lot of the sort of like mainstream websites for information and thoughtful analysis. Um, I try to find a little bit of balance, too, of things that aren't football-related um, or, you know, just sort of things that are just just sort of interest me. Um, I'm behind in reading this. I can't believe uh, I am not reading it until now, but I've just started How Lucky You Can Be, which is a book by Buster Olney, but a legendary basketball coach. And uh, Buster, obviously, is an ace-in-the-hole uh, baseball reporter who also is just a really, really good writer. He's a um, great guy, too. Great and an awesome guy. Really great guy. Um, and he, he would be in that, that category of hardest working people too. I don't think, I don't think Buster sleeps. Um, he's always so, up at like four in the morning when I'm going Yeah, I don't bed. know how he does it. I have no idea how he does it. Um, so, um, you know, this is a, uh, every once in a while you have a little bit of balance, just a little bit of balance. So that's how I do it. Um, yeah. And you know, obviously Twitter is a useful thing too. It's very useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously you've, uh, you've, you've kind of risen in terms of profile a lot over the last couple of years uh, just you know being on tv and reporting a bunch of things and just uh just generally being a, a a face of the espn's nfl coverage where do you hope to see yourself you know where do you see kind of not only yourself but the the future of media going over the next you know five ten years so on a personal level and i've talked about this with some people recently um people who don't work in this this line of business um just who just just friends uh people call anybody is i think at one point in my life i got he you know sort of caught up in by 25 i want to be here by 28 i want to be here uh i'm 28 now and i don't know that by let's say 30 i know what i want to be doing um i think i am really focused on the process part of it and that applies to basically everything that I do. Um, I work for a television company, so any opportunities I get to do that I get for television are always welcomed for me. Um, that, that, and that, that goes for everything that I do. But you know, it's a television company, so I, certainly honing my television skills are critically important to me. Um, and yeah, I would say that um, probably just having a, you know more and more information available. Uh, more and more information at my disposal. Um, that's my goal. I, I, I guess I'll backtrack for a second and note something that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I think people ask me a lot, um, you know, why, what is it about you that you offer that's different from other people on television? And why should I listen to your analysis versus somebody else's? And the answer to the second part is, actually pretty simple you don't have to you, you don't have to listen to my analysis versus somebody else you can listen to everybody whoever you want to listen to you have the right to listen to right um it's not my job to uh to tell you that you have to listen to me uh, i hope you do but if you want to follow somebody else or etc that's that's your prerogative however what my approach was um is um i did not play for 10 years in the nfl or work in the scouting department for 20 years. So uh, I cannot manufacture experience 
that relates to every piece of news that comes up. Um, you know, if, if the day after the Super Bowl, we're talking about, you know, the heartbreak involved with losing the Super Bowl, uh, what, what does a player feel the day after losing the Super Bowl? You know something? Uh, I've got a great buddy and Mark Schlereth, who works at ESPN, who played in three Super Bowls. I believe he won two. And Mark is far more equipped to play, or maybe he played in three and won three. So maybe let's reverse the question. Let's say that, uh, you know, he, what's it like as a player the day after the Super Bowl? Mark is so much better equipped to answer that question on that level. I can't say, well, this is what it's like. Um, so there, I will never try to manufacture experience and, and sort of speak out of turn because that's 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 not, like I said, I, I can't manufacture experience of something I didn't live through, right? Mm-hmm. However... There is no limit on my capacity to gather, learn, uh, add information to my system. So my goal is, whether it happens the minute before we walk into our production meeting for NFL Insiders at 929, or if it happens at you know 158, two minutes before we go on the show, I don't care what the event is, I want to be as prepared is anybody else on television to take that piece of news, contextualize it, and um, put some perspective on it and talk about it in a relevant manner. Again, I'm not saying that's always going to be the case, but that's my goal, is if Chandler Jones gets traded for Jonathan Cooper and a 2016 second-round pick right before NFL Insiders begins, I want to talk about the why. Why do the Patriots do it? Why do the Arizona Cardinals do it? I want to talk about it from a player performance standpoint. Is Chandler Jones a good player? Is Jonathan Cooper a good player? I want to talk about it from a draft capital standpoint. Hey, the Patriots, they're down a first-round pick. All of a sudden, they now, in the past week, between compensatory picks and the second-round pick, have added five picks. Let's talk about it from a, a salary cap implication standpoint. Well, all of a sudden, the Patriots, who've got three different players – uh, maybe four that need a new contract or an extension on the defensive side of the football, including Dante Hightower, Jamal Sheard, Jamie Collins, and Malcolm Butler. Well, they just created nearly five and a half million dollars in cap space. Those are the kind of things that. And then from you know from from Arizona standpoint, I tweeted this, and I think it's you know just an example. They have had one player over the past eleven years who has had at least ten sacks in a season. Chandler Jones done it twice since 2013. You can understand why this move makes sense from both sides, but I want to be in a position where I don't have to sit there and scurry at my computer for 10 minutes to figure this out. I need to have that information, or I want to have as much of that information available at my fingertips so that when the news comes down, I'm ready to turn that around immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's... Definitely really interesting. I, I guess I like haven't really thought about that from just like being on the TV perspective. It's like, you know, you're on SportsCenter or whatever and, you know, the news breaks, being able to turn around that information without even having to look down at your phone. Well, and, and listen, there are going to be – you're constantly going to be looking for a detail here or there. Sure. But I'm just telling you that if tomorrow uh, they invited you to broadcast, you know, innings three through six of uh, the Red Sox and – um, next thing you know, in the middle of uh, you know the third inning, this is I'm totally making this all up. It's never going to happen. All right, the, you see Xander Bogarts get pulled from the 
from the, the the dugout and gets traded. And they announced they just traded Xander Bogarts for Jose Bautista. Again, this is completely ridiculous. I hope, I hope Xander Bogarts plays for the next 15 years in Boston. You, it, it, it doesn't matter who you're in the booth with. If you can sit there and you can tell me, hey, I'm June, and what are you, 20, 20 years old, 21 years old? 20 years old. 20 years old. If you can tell me right away, hey, you know something? As it turns out, Xander Bogarts has three years of club control left and it'll cost the Blue Jays about eight million bucks. And, uh, you know, he, he really, you know, he slugged whatever percentage uh, at Rogers Center last year. If you have that information and you can present it in a way that is informative, I guess that's sort of redundant. But if you can prov- if you can provide that information in an entertaining way uh, or a captivating way, I'm all in. It doesn't matter if you if you have that information and, you, and you've played 20 years, uh, if you've had that information and you're 20 years old. Um, and that's – I'm not in any way trying to take away from what um, – that uh, what, what what playing in the league means. I mean, I have incredible respect for the guys. I'm just saying that you and I, even though we didn't play in a league, have the ability to present information. It's up to us. We don't have 20 years of experience to rely upon and relate to. Well, Phil, this was uh, great. Thanks, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. It was great catching up. See you, buddy. All right, bye-bye. always on my mind you are my favorite song your love is justified well thanks again to field yates of espn for coming on the show this week hope you guys enjoyed the talk we have uh i thought i thought it was pretty interesting I, it was uh really fascinating to hear that field almost became a really a real estate agent and then somehow found himself in journalism if you guys uh enjoy the show make sure to share it with a friend uh if this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Le- please leave us a rating on iTunes as well. Uh, it really, really does help us out and share the show. Uh, and if you want to follow the show on iTunes or on Twitter, rather, you can follow us at Bartolopod. You can follow me at I am June Lee. Follow Field at Field Yates. And uh, that's it for this week. Next week on the show, we have uh, Emma Spann who is an editor over at Sports Illustrated. And uh, we talked about a lot of interesting things, and you're going to want to tune into that episode as well. So until next time, uh, this is Doing It For Bartolo, and uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Your love is simple, baby. You've been on my mind, since you're watching me, I do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Since you say you love me, it's just a fire. Yeah, yeah. It's just a fire.